0: and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. Now this week we're going to drill into a topic which I have to say um, is a mystery to me. So I'm absolutely delighted that I've got Brandon Stevens here to talk to me about AI and HR. Is it a friend? Is it a foe? Uh, Brandon is the founder and CEO of Scouter, and I guess they, it defines what they do there—the happy marriage of data science and behavioral science. Behavioral science, to you and I, is kind of psychology. But I think I'm going to hand to you, Brandon, to introduce yourself and give us a little bit of your background and what Scouter is, rather than me trying clumsily explain it. So, welcome to the HR Uprising podcast.
1: Thank you, Lucinda, and thank you for having me. Uh, and I hope all is well with you and your audience.
0: Thank you. So yeah,
1: so I'm I'm Brandon Stevens, founder CEO of, of Scouter. Uh, uh, my business partner is Dr. Michael Campion. He is a behavioral scientist uh, with a PhD in, in uh, human resources and behavioral science. Uh, uh, the rest of our team is David Nason, our CTO. We have people in customer success and and people, uh, more people in data scientists and behavioral scientists assisting us along this journey. Uh, what we do essentially is we combine behavioral scientists, uh, behavioral science with data science, and we can we can we create these internal talent marketplaces for. Organizations, So it's switching from a position-based model to a skills-based model, allowing for a much more efficient process, and not only talent mobility internally, but also how organizations recruit, but at a higher level, how organizations and individuals actually see each other and what the opportunity truly is. And so this is basically a, a sort of a foundation of where the industry is going, and uh, that is essentially what we do at Scalator.
0: So... We say, uh, so I can, I can understand the value of moving from a sort of position based approach to a skill based approach. How does that fit in? Because obviously, the purpose of this is with AI, and we were talking about earlier off camera, weren't we, about um, how AI sometimes uses a marketing piece as opposed to how does it really fit? What do we even mean when we're talking about AI? So, do you want to take us back a bit and, and link that together for us?
1: It's a great question, Uh, and it's often, you're right, AI is often used in uh, this industry and many other industries as well as sort of a buzzword, a marketing word. Uh, And and let's go back and let's think about what AI actually is, artificial intelligence, right? There's subsets of it, but uh, we'll, we'll kind of split this off in two ways. Number one is sort of starting with decision tree or decision tree logic, right? So your inputs are critically important. Uh, and the other branch of that, uh, would be essentially the argument, uh, the Chinese room argument, if you will, of the difference between syntax and semantics. And, and, what that actually means is can a machine or an AI system actually think, can it be predictive in nature? Well, the reality is that the short answer is, uh, sometimes, right? Uh, most AI, if you will, and human resource or human resources is based off of descriptive data. And so it doesn't have the capability to really be predictive. So think of keyword matching and buzzword matching between a job description and a resume. Um, there's not a lot of likelihood, if you will, that those systems can be predictive and therefore prescriptive in nature. And and there, there, therein lies the issue of AI and not only human resources but many other systems is its ability to be predictive. And uh, I just, Brandon? Can I just
0: yeah. um, just take home my answer? So so. Um... As uh, in predictive of performance. Um, I mean, I guess it, it, it's going to match that if someone. It's almost like um, SEO, isn't it? And you know, so, if, if a, a candidate has has chucked lots of buzzwords into their CV, then it is going to predict that they might get an interview. But it's not going to predict that they're they're going to be a high performer or good at the job. Is that what you're meaning?
1: That, that's absolutely correct. Yeah, right. you may be you may be able and uh, think of this sort of visually as say hard skills being the nucleus, the center of this sort of graphic, right? So hard skills, um, in other words, in Python to Ruby, or say, you know, Google Sheets versus uh, Microsoft Excel, or, you know, marketing analytics versus uh, marketing statistics, or, or maybe a uh, project versus product, man. So there are all these things in hard skills yeah. that are that are sometimes easy to sort of match, right? If you, of, of course, a one-to-one match means that you have an exact match, but the, the there's an inability in these systems to understand transferability and correlations in other words some skills are similar to other skills but not exact and so think of that as sort of the centerpiece here uh, can you actually do the work uh, and then think of say a, another circle around that nucleus of of uh, what we would refer to as the behavioral or the soft skills and then around that you would think about performance review those could be peer could be manager it could be professor teacher so, it's the way this, these inputs need to come together for AI to truly work in the human resources world. That, that's the first, the first key. Uh, the second key is the administrator and the hiring manager need to be trained, in this case, upskilled or reskilled, in how to understand and use this data. And then you not only have to under, know how to understand and use the data, but you've got to understand how to make it safe, right? In order to get participation from all parties, it needs to be used correctly inside of the organization. So all of these things have to happen really simultaneously in some degree for this to work. And that is in the current model is, I can't, I'll use some hyperbole here, but it's really not happening as a standard operating procedure, if you will, in the industry. So is AI real? in the macro, yes, it's very real. Obviously, the large language models that are you seeing that today, like GPT and ChatGPT, they've been around for years, by the way, but these are sort of the latest and greatest, and those elements of AI will almost certainly change search and the way search engines work and the way we acquire knowledge. So they're, those are going to have deeply profound impacts on our computer science world, especially what we, how we use the internet how we achieve certain tasks in the organization. But that has little impact on how organizations and individuals actually see each other. Okay,
0: and so, so hang on a minute. So I'm still, because this is all something that is a little bit jargony for me. So I'm just trying to, yes. so so far, what I, what I follow is the, the way in which on the whole, the example that we've used that um, we might be using AI for in HR would be maybe about saving some time in terms of recruitment, about matching things. And I can see how you might do that internally, possibly as well with skills if you've captured stuff. So you're in theory matching things, but you're also explaining that it's kind of riddled with danger because um, it, 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 the, it, the machine might muddle up two similar things, you know, your Google Sheets or project management, product manager, they're not exactly the same skills or talents necessarily. Um, and, and also people might not be trained. So there's, there's risks in terms of it being done safely and, and I suppose I was just wanted to refer back one of the risks that I remember someone talking about um and again I'm thinking in recruitment and I'm interested to know where else in a moment where else AI might fit in HR and they were saying that in terms of sort of things like diversity or male female or if you look at any of the things that it can only create patterns from previous data so if we've only ever recruited person people of a certain demographic into a role and then we're trying to match that again then we're going to carry on almost reducing our diversity rather than increasing it so that was one of the other worries that i've been told about it um but again it's in selection that's in terms of selection so you're nodding that is that would be another sort of watch out for you
1: yes uh, you have to be careful uh you so th- this goes back to how we program these models right they're, they're right. AI people think that AI replaces the human and in certain tasks it can replace what a human does it it, it it essentially changes the very nature of the seat of the administrator using it, right? You become more of an analyst and you are an administrator. and this is an important differentiation. But to answer your question uh, and your point uh, directly, yeah this this goes back to inputs and training the models, whether you're creating an internal marketplace or whether you're creating, uh, combined with creating maybe a workflow efficiency model, right you know matching thousands of applicants at one time can help you understand where you should be focused. But these existing models are pretty much again still using keyword matching and some yeah. Bayesian math matching but and that certainly can help you at the highest level condense large applicant pools into maybe a discernible uh, 10, 12, 20 people that you could interview. The problem with those models is that you're missing so much data in that model that you're going to certainly have mistakes. You're going to look past certain people with certain potentials that you would not see. Uh, but it, it is, on the surface, making your position as a recruiter or an administrator more efficient. The second part of that is if you have trained that model in with certain uh, with certain EEOC compliance elements, which is a mistake. <laughs> Did not do that when it comes to screening uh maybe you do that in sourcing maybe you do that when it comes to final selection depending on your uh, approach as an organization but if you're training the, the those data points into the model you're almost certainly going to create bias within that within those outcomes and and this is a problem right this has been a i think that behind the movement of dei the intentions are well i think the problem is the way this has been done. This, is, this dates back to the 70s with affirmative action as well, mm-hmm. by the way. This is not necessarily a new movement, uh, but now we have technology that was obviously not in play 40, 50 years ago. And so we have to be careful uh, from management to administration, how we train these models internally, number one. Number two, we need to consistently audit these algorithms just to make sure. And that is more of the administrative or descriptive data piece, right? Descriptive data is more administrative data, who you are, your name, your background, You know, maybe it's gender, ethnicity, race, whatever the case may be. That is more descriptive data that is not prescriptive data or predictive data rather, excuse me. Predictive data is data that gives you intelligence to be able to make decisions based off potential. Here's the likelihood that these people will perform with this team manager in position and prescriptive data a sort of the byproduct of that is actionable insights and that for the most part that predictive and prescriptive element of existing ai in hr is not very well founded right the foundations of inputs are not there you cannot get there with simply just doing resumes and job descriptions it is nowhere Same. near yeah it's nowhere near enough information to be able to be predictive
0: so what you're saying is that so currently the way when we're talking about AI and HR, it tends not to provide prescriptive or predictive data. What kind of data is it providing then?
1: Descriptive data. You De- will get mostly, yeah, you'll get mostly the ability to at least peer into uh, who someone is, you know, maybe their hard skills right because if you combine what you assumed in recruiting and onboarding to what you're seeing in performance acclimation productivity morale et cetera, you can start to see these gaps if they're there the the problem is sometimes that's too late and the other problem is even when you see that there's an issue you don't have the data to be able to correct those issues right sometimes you're lucky lucinda sometimes the organization gets really lucky uh, and they understand over time that there is another opportunity within the organization for this person. Most times, the individual, once this data is realized, uh, they begin to look elsewhere. And this is one of the foundational issues in the way organizations and individuals see each other. And so it's really important uh, that you understand inputs are key. You cannot really use AI in a predictive way until you master your inputs. And those so, inputs
0: are yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry, and that's so, that's it, it, why I I, was, I obviously come back to your point if it if it takes you off here, but I suppose I was just thinking, so again, we're sticking with recruitment at the moment. If I go back to um old school recruitment without just you know AI or descriptive data, I mean this, recruiting people interviews for for example have always been known to be a poor predictors of performance. That's why you have things like competency-based interviews to do well to be able to actually um, try to be more predictive so I suppose the question there again we're sticking I guess in this sort of more talent management talent acquisition area um is the AI even the descriptive approach better or worse than let's say uh, an old school approach with a, an assessment center or something or humans,
1: Yeah, it's a good question. So it just simply mimics, it it becomes an efficiency tool, right? It condenses the time it takes to go from point A to point B. I'm not so sure that it becomes any more predictive. Uh, It is still certainly descriptive. Competency tests, if you will, uh, assessments, you have to be careful how they're being used, right? This is an issue. uh, Another part of what's going on in the industry is that we've gone for decades. We've had this sort of unilateral qualification model. In other words, the job seeker or the applicant or the candidate has to qualify for the organization. Well, in reality, it should be bilateral. You should be qualifying for each other. Yeah. And so when you do competency testing, it's almost completely one sided. It's Mm -hmm. almost completely unilateral. And this is a problem, right? There's nothing wrong with understanding someone's ability as is. But environment, by the way, is the biggest indicate or the, the uh, low morale or low pro- productivity within the team are direct results of environment. Mm. And so this goes back into the argument of inputs. You can't just have the hard skill or the competency input. You have to also have the behavioral, the psychometric sides of this. And you also have to have, you know, previous performance review. Of, and by the way, this applies not only to candidates, but it, it, applies, to, it applies to internal teams as well, because, after a year or two or three in a position, you know what is your potential for the next move? Why shouldn't we focus on promoting from within, and backfilling those seats with either someone internally or maybe someone externally? But, but again, being being engaged with and measured in the exact same way. And so the the elements of competency testing are a good start, but they are by no means. Should they be the final predictor of what, the, which decision you should make as, a, as an organization? And by the way, those insights should also be shared equally with the actual employee and or uh, candidate. It's important that you establish transparency and fairness in this model. Mm. And so it, this is where the industry is headed and, and I think long overdue.
0: And that again fits with maybe using psychometric you you wouldn't you you would give you would ask questions against you'd share it you'd see whether the individual agrees with whatever it is that has been um basically has come out of that report so so talking then if moving away from certainly the the recruitment bit although i can hear you're talking about talent in talent and, and career pathways and career development which is quite a a key pain point for many of our listeners um I imagine that you can use this sort of thing there. It looks like that's almost the foundation of what scouter is, is about, but can you get beyond descriptive? Can you actually get into predictive in the, those areas?
1: It's a great question. And it's a challenge that we see every day. Is number one, establishing the trust within the organization to make this transition and then upskilling, reskilling the individual administrators as well as hiring managers to be able to make this transition. It has to be a more comprehensive shift, right? It can, it, can, it can happen almost immediately within 30 to 90 days, but it really has to be an all-in approach. So certainly, Lucinda, we see a challenge and some pushback from the incumbent models, and that's understandable, right? You know, some people have been trained and, and have been doing things a certain way for a long time. We understand that. Uh, and you, it, which is why you can't plug this in as an add-on, you know, if so you when do- you, Could you,
0: could you accept when you're saying um, they push back from traditional modules, mo- models, could you give us an example? Because it's quite, uh, maybe a specific example of what you're suggesting versus what people are doing, just to bring it to life a little bit. Uh,
1: an example of, yes. Yeah, so, so yeah Well, you're describing so, here. So, so say, let's just say uh, ABC company here in the US has been using a combination uh, so they've got three recruiters, say 150 people. They've got an HR director. Uh, they've got three recruiters. They use vendor recruiting as well, maybe for their higher end knowledge positions, more senior level knowledge positions. From the HR techno- technology standpoint, they have a combination of LinkedIn. They have an applicant tracking system. They have multiple assessment systems, uh, and you know these are typically tied into a, a job board or two, either within the ATS and or LinkedIn. This is typically what you see, by the way, uh, not only in the US, but in the UK. You see a mixed bag of not only HR technology systems, but in many cases, a mixed bag of actual processes and methodologies within one organization. Some of that is the way or either previous training mixed with a lack of training internally, but also more fundamentally uh you don't know what you don't know, right? You know, if you yes. don't know these systems are out there, you don't know that this is happening. Uh, then you really, you really go with what you know and what you're comfortable with. This is what we normally see everywhere. Smaller organizations will have maybe a cheap ATS, you know, free or eight, or you know, they'll post a job for a few hundred bucks on uh, some of your larger job boards, and then you'll have all of these uh, applicants, you know, whether it's fifty or five hundred, come to the gate, if you will. Uh, And those people are interested. They're also searching elsewhere. But they also, in the time that you've posted that position, you're in a very finite bubble in terms of applicable talent. So you're only seeing a small percentage of what's there. And you're only seeing it based off resume. And so all of a sudden, the burden of sort of screening and matching and presentation is on this administrative team. Takes them weeks and sometimes months to do. You're also simultaneously losing applicants along the way because of that yeah. time frame. Yeah. So what what happens is you can't plug in a model like, say, for example, Scouter. And I don't want to plug Scouter here, but you can't plug in this new model of inside out talent marketplace as just one sort of segment in the process. It in and of itself becomes a new process from inside out, start to finish, into end when. And so it's very difficult for someone who is busy day to day. And I, listen, I have a lot of respect for really good recruiting and people in human resources. They work very hard. They never get the credit they deserve. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so it's important that we understand collectively this where this methodology is flawed. And so in, in point A, the, 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 the multiple HR stacks, the multiple processes, Your issue there is experience, right? Not only for the hiring manager, but for the administrator, but also, hey, most importantly for the candidate themselves or the applicant. That experience, if you survey a thousand people in the UK or in the US and you ask them about their job search experience, I'd be willing to bet you that well over 90% will give it unfavorable responses. Yeah. Furthermore, you look at... survey done in the U.S. around 2018, I I can't remember exactly, uh, I'll send this to you, but there was over 100,000 people polled, and over 70% of those people indicated that their last job, in many cases their first or second job out of school, they felt as they left that position that they made a mistake. Right. So this is a deeply entrenched methodical problem. You have a lack of quality inputs to even be able to have effective artificial intelligence, You have a lack of training in this new world at the administrator level. Uh, And by the way, therein lies a wonderful opportunity to create a career trajectory, a different path for people in human resources. This this can allow you to become an analyst consultant, sort of a customer experience model as opposed to an administrator. This is a big deal. But the the problem in in this industry uh, is currently the shift you know, convincing companies, number one, that this is going to work. Number two, of how to transition into this new model in the human resources department. It's not just human resources. Every single manager has to buy in as well. And so uh, this is tricky, right? But every disruption, every transformation, a major in- industry transformation happens this way. And so we've seen this happening for years. And you have to go back to what I refer to as first principles thinking, right? What are the root causes and these poor experiences for workers, for employees, for job seekers and applicants, candidates, and also hiring managers? What is the root cause? Well, it is the methodology and it's also the actual systems in place currently. And so you cannot uh, cannot put a bandaid on this and truly fix it. And also simultaneously, any AI that is true AI, machine learning, natural language processing, will not work until this me- uh, methodology is is uh, transformed. And so it, even if you're missing the appropriate data that's only descriptive, if it's not used properly, if the administrators are not using it properly, it's not likely to work. In fact, we go back to where we started earlier. It creates biases. And by the way, biases are not only gender and race and ethnicity and those types of things. There are many, many other biases in hiring yeah. as well. And what happens at the administrative and hiring manager seat, you not only have your biases, but as a collective team, you start to develop confirmation biases. And so you're driving certain things in a certain way. Uh, and so th- this, is, this is very commonly known. The research has been done for decades in, in behavioral science, IO and industrial organizational psychology and, and uh, the other elements of, of, of behavioral science. This is is very widely known as a problem and has been for a long time. And by the way, this is what humans do. This is what we do if we are left to our own devices.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, of course, again, Halo and Horn's effect, that was well-known sort of bias that humans do, even without this instance of of keywords or AI. So then just taking this back very simply and maybe seeing if there's a way of broadening it out into HR. So what I'm hearing really is that um ai which sounds all really sophisticated and robotic and you know futuristic it's kind of keyword it, it, it's it's da- it's analyzing data and finding patterns and it's when you're talking about nlp natural language processing it's basically matching words at the most simple level is it for searching and well, finding no, them
1: well it's word well you know We'll, we'll take a, a basic term in NLP called semantic vectoring. right? It, it looks at the def- definition of words and similarity with, amongst those words. And it looks at, you know, for example, um, what is the, what is the uh, and, and by the way, this, you, this is the combination of qualitative and quantitative data. A lot of times we'll understand how to qualify something, but we're not so sure how to quantify that particular understanding. And this is a big deal. So, think of this in what we, in our approach to this, by the way, and the way we use NLP is that we use, uh, uh, we use a framework of skills, right? 250,000 or so skills in our database, and we can tell the meaning, the difference between those skills. So, for example, Java to Java and programming is a 1.0, and this at the most is how current keyword matching systems work. They'll identify Java in a job description. They'll identify Java in a resume, and they'll say, oh, bingo. Well, what we do is we can take it a step further. Uh, how close is, say, C-sharp or Python to Java? How about Ruby to Java? How about Java to JavaScript? Uh, in a more simpler case, how similar is Google Sheets to Microsoft Excel? Well, we this about a 0.91, 0.92, 0.93 correlation. So as you're structuring the quantitative data around words, skills, phrases, acronyms, it allows you to be able to understand how likely someone, even with different skills, is able to come into this position and vice versa. So it's how
0: transferable those skills might be. That's right. It's
1: the transferable piece, the correlation piece. And so semantic vectoring started with systems like Word2Vec and BERT roughly 10 years ago, uh, and they've just simply gotten much more powerful and much more. Much better where you've got GPT 4 and and beyond, and you know obviously the most popular one now is Chat GPT. Uh, th- these are systems that are starting to understand semantics, and this is a huge pivot. So for decades we have been teaching humans the language of machines, computers, and coding, and over the past decade you've had this rise of a transition where you're actually teaching machines the language of humans. Mm-hmm. Now. Does a machine have consciousness? Of course not, right? And this is the whole going back to the Chinese room argument. Can a a machine actually be intelligent? Well, from a bare approach to what intelligent means, the short answer is yes. But does it understand the sort of context of the language? And that's where NLP is starting to come in. And by the way, that's also what's allowing for the combination of skills correlations and then layering in behavioral science and soft skills, because salt, your soft skills and the environment you're in has a massive impact on your ability to acclimate and grow and learn and improve in those seats. So you, you cannot, in the current system, you do not have a, a lot of quantifiable data around the soft skills and the environmental or behavioral elements within teams. Culture, if you will. So team culture is really the expectations you have of each other in the team. And and can works. you get
0: those through? Do you, can you see that you would be able to get those through AI, Brandon?
1: Yeah. Well, well. You, again, we have an input problem. So the yeah. organization, uh, the, this is where market the marketplace model is going to come in, and essentially, wipe out job boards and ATSs. I, I'm I'm absolutely convinced of this because once you bring in a marketplace model, then all stakeholders are measured on a completely different standard, a higher standard of engagement. See, this is the key. Is changing the engagement piece. So why can't we put the interviews up front and take that data and create these new level profiles, which is what we do, and that way the actual machine learning or the NLP can do its job much more accurately. So what but do you, you mean I, by that? Sorry, I don't.
0: I don't understand by putting the interview up front. What would, What are you actually doing then?
1: Really. So yeah, that's a great question. I, I, I'm sorry to throw that in there uh, without a better explanation. So. Uh, The current model is you create a job description, you post that job description in many different formats, however however it may be, and then uh, the individuals, they create a resume. Now, the resume and the job description have been around for well over 100 years. The only thing that's changed is how we see them, right? It went from newspaper postings to mailing in your resume to faxing in your resume to the digital transformation of the mid-90s to everything becoming web-based. and so, uh, But really, the documentation has not changed. So in order to fix this, you have to start by changing the very nature of what an opportunity looks like. It's not just a job description with a bunch of fancy keywords from the employer. It's really, here's what the team manager and position actually look like as an opportunity. And in order to do that, you have to break it down from a KSA or a knowledge, skills, and abilities section. Then you have to go into team culture dynamics and work style di- dynamics, and and that is how you start to recreate a new level of profile. And so, so you're uh,
0: profiling the business or the team um, yeah, to sort it's, of as sell, like selling back the organization to the individual, so they can see if there's a match between their values right. and the company's values. For argument's that's sake, right?
1: It's, it's, that's that's exactly right. It starts inside out. You you, you essentially reevaluate every team and manager. Because you you have a subset there. You have an organization. You know this is who we are, what we do. You know our products and services, where we are, et cetera. Uh, and then you have basically teams. And within each team, say sales and technology and human resources, et cetera, you have team culture. And then in each position, you have certain work styles that perform better in some positions. And, 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 and for example, uh, in a solutions architect or an engineer. You want that person to maybe more administrative, I'm sorry, more innovative. So in the, in the problem solving section of work styles, mm-hmm. the innovator versus the optimizer is a big deal. Many companies get this wrong. And so the innovator, from a stylistic point of view, prefers to be in the problem early on, identifying the issue, creating a solution, building that solution, etc. And then the optimizer prefers to be in the back end of that, is administrating uh, and reporting, if you will. These are two very different people that are mm-hmm. often interchanged in seats. Mm-hmm. This creates a massive issue in certain seats. Like for example, the, the innovator uh, software engineer, uh, and then you have or solutions architect, and then you have the QA or the test engineer is more of an optimizer. Now it doesn't mean that over time that optimizer can't become an innovator. They almost certainly can in the right environment. But Lucinda, if you don't know these things as an individual and in an organization, how can you possibly get there with any real efficiency?
0: So, what and- you are you saying then that you would potentially um, look at the successful people in certain roles uh, in uh, the select, you know, the the personality profile or the style of someone who is a solutions architect or a project manager or whatever it is, the people who are performing? And again, this is a tricky one because even the performance data may not fit, but you get some inputs um, which could give you a. I suppose, a, a a formula for what's what success looks like in that role. So that's it. That's personal traits. You're also going to do some cultural analysis as to how level of teamwork or that side of things. And then are you saying you'd present that information to the candidates to see if there's a, a match or how do you allow well, people to use that?
1: Yeah, this is more of a sort of a bell curve argument, right? About, um, you know, you, you if you have 10 people on a team, you'll have, you know, you'll have six that perform at par, if you will. They're doing well. Uh, they're getting good reviews. You'll maybe have one or two that are sort of exceeding, in some cases, quite far any necessary quota or expectation. And you will have one or two on the other side of that that aren't, aren't meeting expectations at all. So I'd be careful using the outliers in the bell curve, right? Yes. You're always going to have those to a certain extent. You really want to pay attention more along the lines of the middle. You want st- to yeah. standardize the way you engage with each other understanding that you're not likely to be able to change the high end versus the low end, but you at least will have the data on causation and correlation around those elements. Uh, I, I think once you raise the standardization of inputs, uh, but, you know, of a hiring manager, you know, establishing what team culture is, right? And there are certain very quantifiable measurements of this, right? We use eight and eights. So we use eight categories in team culture and eight categories in work style. And so, and, and, and again, those could be, you you could sort of iterate those as you see fit as an organization but once you benchmark those and you start to create these profiles uh not only for the organization the team manager and position but also you have the candidates come in on the same model or the same methodology then it becomes much easier to predict that performance whether it is low mid or high so uh, you don't want to you want to get away from the more reactive model based off high performers not that there's not really good data there that can be trained back into management, uh, help you with onboarding, and so forth. Uh, you are It's going to be almost impossible to ever change that bell curve model, right? You know, there's always going to be certain people that perform well in certain environments. But I will promise yes. you, not just aptitude, right? It's not just aptitude. Those people typically are in the right style, cult, uh, team cultural match, and they're yes. also in the right style for the role but what you can do as an organization is have a better understanding that this is not just anecdotal information. There's actually really good data there to help an organization understand because what happens to high performers, they eventually leave. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Well, what if you could understand how to promote them into other opportunities within the organization or, Hey, what if you've taken that information and they do leave and they leave on good terms and they're an advocate for your uh, organization for the rest of their career, but also in their absence, you're able to promote someone else there or you have the data to be able to bring in and predict performance along the same lines. This has many, many, many uh, applications within an organization. Uh, And so it's important that we we start to, you know, AI again, sort of as a cover for the lack of this data, right? You know, these machines, if you will, don't don't understand human consciousness. And so they have right. no way they have no way of providing any real usable, accurate data to predict performance in the current model. and and I think of Amazon's marketplace and what they did years ago to create a, a much more analytical approach and a higher standardization of sort of what they call the digital storefront, right? If you're a seller in Amazon, you have to meet certain criteria and if you're a buyer on Amazon you get to come in and you get to see that data and guess what the company gets to see this uh, consumer data as well so you you know look at the how powerful and this is often overlooked how the customer reviews how powerful that data is hmm. to help you make a decision as a buyer yeah but also also that feedback to help you increase your standardization of and expectation as a as an actual seller and so th- these marketplaces they work, but they only work with the right type of inputs and the right type of fairness and transaction, the, the, the reporting and the the training of the user, so to speak. So this is there's no doubt this is what's coming to human resources to be able to fix these issues and time to hire, quality of hire. And by the way, I know we don't have time today, but there's a demographic element to this too that should deserve it deserves its own podcast time. But the earlier demographic, especially in the U.S. Uh, their expectations around experience are somewhat different than, say, my Gen X was. So the millennials and Gen Z have a different expectation of experience when it comes to work. And that that's above and beyond what we're seeing in hybrid work and white-collar work and knowledge work. And we're seeing a more hybrid approach to how teams are coming together. And so um, the need for this type of data is just becoming increasingly more um, what's the
0: difference say they have different expectations and they expect to have to get greater experience they expect to be taken on with least less experience what is it that they expect
1: they expect a more engaging experience a more relational experience I see, right uh, a, be- they, a better better candidate it, it, yeah,
0: experience yeah. yeah
1: they are not going to tolerate now i'm using some hyperbole here to express a point but they're not going to tolerate a 90 to 120 day time to hire fiasco That that is that is so completely unnecessary today. Uh, Not only that, but they're not going to tolerate the lack of insights and actionable data. You know, the younger demographic have a different expectation of experience. They come from a different world. They come from a much more engaged world. And again, not everyone's the same. I I don't want to put everyone in one bucket. But my point is that the demographic challenge, not only are we producing less talent if you will uh overall uh college graduates in in the u.s is slightly declined, kind of peaked and stabilized around eight seven eight years ago and you've seen steady decreases in the number of college graduates in the u.s uh, over the past four or five years and so and I, i don't know if that trend will continue but it almost certainly most likely will so in the current model it will not get easier for organizations to acquire and retain talent, talent. so it's it more works. and more
0: important to do it this way
1: yeah yeah, yeah. so in
0: the interest in the interest of time, we're so going over a little bit so um i feel like we've scratched the surface haven't we it's such a, bre- a big topic brandon thank you very much uh for that but i do feel like i have under I, I understand more but again it scratched the surface so i suppose just a, a final sort of question for our audience if they like i find this quite jargon like and and you know just about see it in terms of selection and recruitment kind of get where you're coming from into the potential of using it but the chances of having that data in their organization anytime soon particularly if they're a smaller business um may not be the case what would you recommend they do to educate themselves or to um look at ways in which they can become more comfortable using ai if you're an hr professional now what would you do
1: yeah, it's a, great, it's a great question. I would start to look at how to create an internal talent marketplace. How can we start to make this transition into looking inside out, creating more of a, a, a large skills model internally to allow us to not only see uh, what the potential of certain people are in one department, but across different departments. Because there is a lot of transferable and correlative data you could acquire uh, to be able to do that. Uh, you have to introduce this and get buy-in, obviously, from leadership down to your employees. Um, but in, in HR, I always start to look at this because simultaneously, what this actually does as well is it consolidates your HR tech stack. Right? You, in this yeah. model, you will not need multiple ATSs. You will not need multiple job boards. Uh, you will not need additional screening power. In fact, screening is built into these marketplaces, at least the way we do that. And I would start to look at ways, if you have a multi-person HR team, uh, to simultaneously upskill, reskill them about what this means and how to use it. And so it's important that they understand what's coming. Uh, You don't have to make this decision immediately. Uh, You can start, and it's tricky to bring in assessments because assessments are typically, again, they're they're unilateral. Uh, Assessments have to be uh, redefined, but I would audit. I would audit your entire HR stack process, and I would try to get any data i could and how effective those have been over the past 12 24 36 months if you do not see a trajectory improvement i would start to make this transformation uh, sooner than later it's not that difficult to do organizations that create a sort of a skills model uh, it does require a company like us to come in and help you build the framework of that and then also help you understand how to train your managers and 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 uh, your administrators, but make no mistake, this will be standard procedure within the decade. Yeah. And I think uh, I think educating yourself around this as a human resource leader is 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 the number one thing you should do is get a better understanding about what's coming and and uh, how to prepare for it. Um, and hey, if you want to reach out to us, you know we have uh, we have a behavioral scientist on staff. Uh, if, at bare minimum, we could help give you the sort of the framework to either start to do this yourself or to hire an organization uh, to come in and, and help you do it as well. Again, this is not just the actual marketplace. This is a consolidation. a subskilling or reskilling administrators. It all has to happen simultaneously. But the planning the planning phase can start by creating that strategy internally and understanding it
0: so this whole analytics, um, and being more analytical and um, in order to be more strategic, all these things, it, it, key skills, moving out of administration to analytics is, is looking like a key uh, development area for those of us in, in these roles. Um, well, the AI, yeah, did, the
1: AI doesn't replace you, by the way. I'm sorry, I to the interrupt No, you need AI. to be able to
0: interpret it, don't you?
1: The AI doesn't replace you. The AI becomes your assistant. You work with the AI or the machine learning or the NLP upskill, reskill yourself to where you can, it can become your assistant and make sure it changes the dynamics of your job and human resources, as well as, as managers and leaders in organizations. And so I, I would, I would embrace that change because it could be a quite, it could be a fruitful one for all involved if done yeah. properly. But I, I, I think um, our fear of this change is part of the problem. We need to embrace it and accept yeah. it
0: get that meaningful data um so brandon stevens thank you so much for joining i'm just i i've got your i will put these up on the hr uprising podcast page um but just to spell out for people if they want to go and look at what scouter is so it's literally spelled um www.scout.com with an R on the end dot team. That's your main yep. site. Yeah. Yep. Um, and i and, and Brandon, it's Brandon Stevens with a V as opposed to a PH. So hopefully they can look you up on LinkedIn as well if they people want to reach out for you, Brandon.
1: That's right. Yeah, we have scoutermarketplace.com for organizations. We have myscouter.com for job seekers. So any way we can be a resource, Lucinda, for you and your audience, please let us know. Uh thank you so much for having me on today. I really appreciate the time and I hope I brought value to your audience.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much, Brandon. I really hope you found this week's episode useful and enjoyable. If you did, perhaps you could recommend us to a friend or colleague or give us a review on your platform of choice. It really helps new listeners to find us. Now you can access links to any of the information mentioned in this show via the website www.hruprising.com. Further free resources are also available at www.actus.co.uk. There you can also find out more about our software and training solutions. Finally, why not join our LinkedIn group, The HR Uprising, to share ideas and collaborate with other like-minded people professionals. Thank you for listening to The HR Uprising podcast.